Hi there, and welcome to episode four of Dudes Being Dudes, the podcast presented by Knocking Point Wines. You know what Knocking Point Wines is. It's based out of Walla Walla, Washington, started by my buddy and I. And Drew and I will sometimes co-host, and sometimes I will go solo. So thank you to our friends also at Studio 71. If you hear an ad on this podcast, it's because of them. Today, I'm talking to my good buddy and fellow Rams fan, Frank the Clown. What is this podcast about? It's a love fest about the Los Angeles Rams. They just won the Super Bowl on Sunday. You have that expression where, and by the way, I've got a lot of noise in the background. It's the middle of the afternoon in my house. There's shit going on. Again, it's early days for this podcast, and the level of professionalism is going to be commensurate with the amount of time that we're able to apply to it. So right now, I'm still sitting in the middle of my living room. Things are going on. Kids are coming home from school. We have a really great guest later this week, and it will be Drew and I. And you ever hear the expression, you know, one for us, one for them? The one later this week, that one's for you. This one, this one's for me. If you're not a football fan, if you're not a Los Angeles Rams fan, if you don't care about sports, then I'm not going to be offended. You do not have to listen to this podcast. But I actually think that it's a relatively high-level football discussion. We talk about the Rams, how Frank became a fan way back in like 1999, how the Super Bowl in 2002 in New Orleans against the Patriots broke his heart, and how his fandom continued from St. Louis to Los Angeles, from the Coliseum to SoFi, from Jared Goff doing checkdowns to Matt Stafford pumping the ball down the field. The Los Angeles Rams, the Los Angeles Rams are the champions of the football world. And if you thought that Frank and I weren't going to sit and talk about it for an hour and 45 minutes, well, yeah, that's what we did. And it was awesome. So thank you to Frank the Clown. Thank you to Stan Kroenke. Thank you to everyone at the Rams organization. Thank you to Cooper Cup. Thanks to Aaron Donald. Thank you to the Rams of Los Angeles, your 2021, 22, I don't know how they say it, they're world champs, and I'm excited. So without further ado, please welcome Frank the Clown. Do you ever record openings for stuff, Frank? Here and there. Yeah, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. If you're recording an opening for something, do you find that you either nail it the first time around or if you get to a second take, if you're unhappy with how spontaneous you do or do not sound, what's the likelihood then that you move on to a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth take? Uh, 99.9%. Right. <laughs> when given the opportunity to do things over again, I will do things over again when it comes to recording anything. Well, welcome in my friend, Frank, uh, affectionately known as Frank the Clown. You know, Frank, I don't actually know your last name. Last name is Mastari. 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 Is, is, what, sort of, what sort of origin it's, does that have? 
it's I think it's Italian ish. My dad is is a full blooded Italian. My mm -hmm. mom is a little bit of a mix of stuff, but I got the last name, the dark hair, but I didn't get like the darker skin complexion or anything. I'm not an overwhelmingly hairy man like many full blooded <laughs> Italians. So um I uh so I have yeah, very fair complexion, but uh yeah, Mastari dates back my, my some of my other family is very, very Italian, so that's what it comes from. Cool. So obviously the two of us, well not obviously, people don't know. The two of us went to the Super Bowl on Sunday. Our friendship has been built on two really effective pillars, I find. Number one, yeah. professional wrestling, in no particular order, but number one, professional wrestling, and number two, uh, the Los Angeles Rams and football and traveling to see a team. So let's begin at the beginning and we'll end up at the Super Bowl and then your raucous night thereafter. How did you become a Rams fan back in the day? So I'm 31, right? So when I was growing up in the night, like the late nineties, always a big sports guy reading the papers when I was a kid, but the bears were awful all throughout the nineties. They had mm -hmm. no success whatsoever. So when I was like eight, nine, 10 years old, the Bears weren't cool. Nobody was going to the Bears games. And this is no... because you're originally from Chicago. From Chicago. Yeah, I'm from Chicago. I'm from Chicago, born and raised. So I'm White Sox fan, Blackhawks fan, Bulls fan. But as foot, you know, football, I was up in the air till literally the year 2000. So that was great. Sean Turf, Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce. I vividly remember watching the Rams and Titans Super Bowl when I was literally 10 years old. And I was like fascinated by the great show on turf. They were on, they were so ahead of their time, unlike anything we'd ever seen before. So as a kid, I was just like, this is awesome. What the, the bears can't do this. So I'm going to be a fan of this team. And the rest was history. So I used to drive to games in St. Louis all the time. I would wake up at 6am on a Sunday, drive four hours buy the, like the tickets were dirt cheap in St. Louis. So I would just buy a ticket the morning of and go. And little did I know when I made that transition to be a Rams fan in 2000, that the Rams would then proceed to be absolutely awful all throughout the 2000s. So mm -hmm. the city itself, St. Louis, LA, wasn't so much important to me. Um, but I I just, from that point forward, it was Rams, 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 and football's always kind of been my number one. So you got into the greatest show on turf because that came out of, I mean, that came out of nowhere. They started the season with yeah. Mark Bulger as their quarterback. Trent Green, Trent Green. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Mark Bulger yeah. was the guy that then followed... Rip Replace Kurt, Kurt Warner. Warner. Right. Yeah. Okay, so Trent Green yeah. gets hurt in the preseason. The Rams are not on your radar at all at that point. No, no. I can't claim that Super Bowl as part of my fandom. It's I, I didn't appreciate it, A, because I was young, but B, I just wasn't – that's what made me a fan. So the that whole run of that season – I don't really have any memory of it. I just, I do vividly remember the NFC championship with the Buccaneers and the Super mm -hmm. Bowl. And then mm -hmm. going into that next season was like, I had the, the jerseys and my room oh, was painted blue and gold. Literally right. all of it. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so what happens then is that, uh, so the Rams score the Super Bowl, the Rams beat the Titans. And this was in 19, yeah. this was 99, right? It was the Super Bowl 99, in 2000. 2000. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So the Super Bowl was in 2000. <clears throat> so the next year they come back, but they don't go to the Super Bowl again next year, but they're still good. They're still the greatest yeah. show on turf. Yeah. They lost in the first round of the playoffs that year. I think if I'm, mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Um, or was it the pay? I 
No, was because the Brady they, year? No, no, it, it can't okay. be because you could say that the Super Bowl was in 2000, but then the next Super Bowl in 2001, that yep. was not the Rams and Patriots. That Super Bowl was in February of 2002. Before 9-11. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it happened after 9-11. I remember that because U2 played the halftime show and they had oh, a huge okay. list of, of all the people. So I guess, I mean, we can get in the weeds here, but basically yeah. the 99 season sucks you in. They win the title. They come back as the greatest show on turf. And I remember that was just sort of your typical hangover season where they were good. I remember them on Monday Night Football with Dennis Miller uh, commenting, saying this is the fastest football team that I've ever seen. And they were all – everything was all like well and good, but they didn't have the same – they didn't have the same – ability to kick the shit out of teams as they did the previous year. But then in the 2001-2002 season uh, that I think they missed the first week of the season or possibly the second week of the season because of 9-11 and then took those games, put them at the end of the year, and then had that Super Bowl in 2002 in New Orleans where they lost. Yeah. And then they transitioned into the Mark Bulger, Mike Marks, Steven the Jackson. remnants, yeah, yeah, the remnants of the greatest show on turf, but they never sniff getting close to the title game again, correct? No. Correct. And and that 2001 2002 Super Bowl, that was the first devastating sports loss in my life. Uh, I was a Bulls fan growing up in the 90s, so I lived through the Jordan era, albeit I was young, but they never lost. You mm-hmm. know, they 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 were on they won every finals they appeared in. Um and foot and with the Rams now I was in like for two years at this point I, rem- I I remember watching that Super Bowl at one of my buddies house you know our parents were there it was a whole powwow mm-hmm. I had like my face painted blue and gold I spray painted my hair which apparently is carried over into my uh, my later years and um and they you know they lost in the field goals time expired uh and it hurt me like I I remember how I felt going home I was devastated and there's still a part of, I could, if we could really go into the weeds, but that game was weird. Uh, all the way through, there were some weird calls or no calls. Uh, they were a 14 point favorite going to that game. That's unheard yes, of. They were. Unheard uh, of, especially in this day and age. Well, it happened, but it, it, it happened again. The Patriots were favored in the 2008 Super Bowl. We always say this, by oh. the way, this, this bothers me because I, people, they want to say the 2007 Super Bowl because the whole season happens in 2007. And then the Super Bowl and the, the next playoffs year. and the Super Bowl happen the next year. But yeah, the fucking Computer. Super Bowl took place in 2008 in Glendale and the Patriots were against the Giants and they yeah. were 14 point favorites too. And okay. like yeah. the Patriots did to the Rams in 2002, the Pats beat them that year. The Giants beat the Pats in 2008. And that's just, you no. Know, yeah. That's how things go. So yeah. after after that, you got the Steven Jackson, you have the Mark Bulge, you have the Mike Martz of it all, but they're to a large extent toiling away in St. Louis. At what point did Jeff Fisher come on board? Fisher came in, so they had Steve Spagnolo, who got hired after the Giants Super Bowl wins. He was the Giants defensive coordinator. Okay. He comes in for maybe three to four years, no success. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Fisher came in, I want to say when Sam Bradford got drafted number one mm-hmm. and they, I think that was like 2010 because mm-hmm. Bradford came in. Yeah, I think it was 2010. And that year they had a Sunday night game to win the division in Seattle. It was the last game of the season. They win and they're in. 
They ended up scoring like six points. It was Bradford's rookie year. He was terrible in the game. Seattle's atmosphere obviously was tough then. And then it was just five years or whatever of seven to nine or eight and eight football as Jeff Fisher uh, does yeah. best. I think what I remember from those teams is that it was around that time that the Seahawks were just, they were shit kicking people. Yes. And the Rams would always mess it up because they would play the Seahawks or they would play the 49ers or they would play the Cardinals. And I, you know, not all those teams were good aside from Seattle at the time, but those games would always seem close. The yeah. Rams would always give the Seahawks trouble and, what they would fake yeah. punt. I remember. Was that still Hecker, Johnny Hecker, at that point? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the Rams were frisky. They always came to play against the Seahawks, especially. They were like a thorn in everybody's side in the NFC West. They always played the Saints tough too for some reason. They would always yeah. get matched up against the Saints, and uh, and they just had Drew Brees' number. The defense on those Rams teams were were really actually really good. Robert Quinn, um, Chris Long. James Laurinaitis, uh, Janoris Jenkins. There's a lot of really talented players, and they could. They, a lot of them individually had big years, but sometimes they, they were just inconsistent as a whole. So they were always good enough to win any game, but they were also in a position where they could lose any game at any given moment too, and nobody would be surprised. And listen, I'm not. I'm not interested in pouring dirt on St. Louis right now because it really can't be a lot of fun when you you get a team, you lose a team. And then that team wins the title, especially when, I mean, let's be honest. I think everyone agrees with what Stan Kroenke did from a business perspective, but I mean, he fucked the people of St. Louis, fucked them hard. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. The, va the valuation of the franchise almost doubled overnight from the move to St. Louis and LA. So immediately yeah. he was already making money on it. And then the, the stadium itself is, is our could potentially already be paying for itself at this point. So it it was 100% the right move. And yes, yeah, St. Louis came with a proposal for a new stadium that would have been like on the, the riverfront. But honestly, I went to Rams games. They weren't showing up for games there. Like, yeah, you have to win and winning draws in crowds, but that place was depressing. The Edward Jones Dome, it was, it was not a great establishment. They had not done any renovations to it. And again, the fans weren't showing up for better or for worse. So it... It was inevitable. The, the land Kroenke bought was bought years before the move was ever official. He knew what he was doing. It was it was a long play, and it, yeah, it sucks, but it was it was the right move. It was the right move. So the announcement comes down, and and again, I would just like to say I would like to apologize to the people of St. Louis. Look, I know that you know when the when the Colorado Avalanche won the title, I always remember seeing a fan in the stands holding up a sign that said, thank you, Quebec. And it's like, hey, buddy, I don't know if you realize this, but the people of Quebec don't give a fuck about what's going on right now. Like, they want nothing to do with it. No. Sort of similar to when the Rams went to their Super Bowl that we both went to against the Pats in, in 2019. No one from the city of New Orleans watched that game. And we'll get into that story because they were so bummed out from the previous week. So, Oh, my God. Apologies to the city of St. Louis, but listen, you have the Cardinals. The Blues won the cup. I, 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 I think you're doing. I think you're doing okay. If you'd had a good stadium, it's on the waterfront, something like that. Maybe it works. But also, you got to remember, and this happens sometimes in sports. The fucking St. Louis Rams are in the NFC West with the San Francisco 49ers, the Arizona <laughs> Cardinals, and the Seattle Seahawks. Like, it makes no sense. It reminds me of growing up before they redid the NHL. There was a 
point oh, yeah. in time where both the Red Wings and the Maple Leafs were in the Western Conference. And yeah. that then you end up with the 1992 or 1993 <laughs> Western Conference Finals <laughs> are, the, are the Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Los Angeles Kings. What the fuck is going on there? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So, yeah. The NHL... The, oh, the Blackhawks are still in the Western Conference. I like, know. It, it, they're still like they they split the divisions and everything, and like and that makes more sense. But the actual conferences themselves, there yeah. there's definitely some teams that are completely ass backwards. Yeah. So so the Rams decide that they're coming back to Los Angeles. It gets announced that they're going to the Coliseum, and there's just a massive massive run on season seats. And the first preseason game they have at the Coliseum, I believe, is against the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And there's like a hundred thousand people yeah. there, and then the Rams' first game is, I believe, at the Coliseum was against the Seahawks, and yep, I was there. It was so was I. Yeah, it was a hundred and four oh degrees, God. baking in the sun, and they the ran Colise- out of water. Yeah, so they the ran Coliseum, out of bottled water. For people that don't know, is the the Coliseum at the time is sat is set for. The, their primary tenant, and I think really only tenant that can that can draw major crowds, are the USC Trojans, the men's football team. But in the Pac-12, even if SC, which wasn't great at the time, this was well past their their heyday with Pete Carroll and Reggie Bush and and Leinart and Palmer and all those all those boys. Even if they have a hundred thousand people in the Coliseum, they don't serve beer or any or alcohol of any type at a Pac-12 event. So for the Rams first season, that first game against the Seahawks with 104,000 people there, they ran out of water. There's just these random tents serving hot beer. It was an auspicious beginning. But what do you remember about that first season under Jeff Fisher? Because it started relatively well, and then it just was a disaster. Yeah, so there's there's like kind of like conspiracy theorists within like Rams fans that Fisher was solely brought in to like help with the move to LA because he was the head coach for the Oilers when they then moved to Tennessee to become the Titans. So he had already coached through a relocation. So mm-hmm. you know, there's I guess there's 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 a pocket of Rams fans that believe that he was hired. You know, obviously he was respected coach. He had made a Super Bowl. But the long game of that was get us through this rebuild. And then, you know, if, you, if you're successful, yeah, you're going to stick around. But if not, we'll shake hands and part as friends. So, yeah. Do you mean sort of like when the Astros got caught in the cheating scandal and they had to fire their manager and they had to fire their bench coach? Or no, they didn't fire him, but he was he was now the manager. I think it was Alex Cora who was managing the Red Sox. And he got fired. And everyone that was basically involved in that scandal – so then they bring in Dusty Baker, who almost yeah. looked like he was appointed in coordination with Major League Baseball as a calm, senior, non-controversial, respected, yeah, figurehead, so to speak. Yeah, somebody that's got a clean kind of background and and has been around the game for a while, and they plug him in there and hope people kind of forget and go from I there. Mean, Listen, it's a great theory. It's it's all it's all well and good, but at the time that that they're hatching this, what where they have their eyes on a 
24-year-old quality control coach and Sean McVay. To, to, <laughs> yeah, uh, Sean no, McVay came crashing down from the football heavens. Well, it just happened to bestow upon the Rams front office well, and Hey, we'll we'll, we'll get we'll, we'll get to Mc, yeah. we'll get to McVay in a second. Right. right. Well, okay. So uh, so we're thinking that you know that <laughs> that Jeff Fisher is a is a rogue is a rogue agent, but okay. I just remember that first season, the Rams were featured on Hard Knocks on HBO. Yes. And I just remember looking at the way that they made the move from St. Louis and their new offices and Jeff Fisher and just sort of the way that it was all put together. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't really know if this is going to work out for everyone. I remember and during that hard knock season, they were like, they're doing the team meetings mm-hmm. and it was the quote that ended up haunting him where he's like, I'm sick of this seven and nine bullshit. And <laughs> you know, every that. year there was, yeah, and that followed him forever. Like, you still see tweets about it. He just got hired, like, a week or two ago in some other football league. And, like, if you look at all the tweets and the replies, it's all, like, can't wait for some 7-9 bullshit. Can't wait for 7-9 seven, seven bullshit because he he worked himself into a shoot in that sense because he was the 7-9 bullshit guy. He, he never had a winning record with the Rams. Mm. Well, I think I'm sure that he I'm sure that he was a very good football coach, but maybe he's not the football coach that – is supposed to be developing a younger quarterback. I mean, maybe maybe his destiny is to be a defensive coordinator somewhere. But then again, he yeah. he had like he had a good long run as a head coach yeah. in the league. It's just unfortunately he's kind of the butt of a few jokes where they go four and twelve in that first season, or three and thirteen, or whatever it was. Whatever it was, it was bad. Was not and good. And then McVeigh comes in and goes eleven to five with essentially the same roster. But just let's put a bow on that on that first season back in LA, where towards the end of it, I was up shooting Arrow and I missed a couple of games. But man, there were a couple of games towards the end of the year. Like maybe one was like against the Raiders or something like that, and it rained. And it was that late window game on Sunday that you just desperately hope the red zone channel never cuts to because nobody gets a shit, not the fans, not people with fantasy implications. The only people that are interested in a game like that are people with gambling problems. And if you looked around the Coliseum, it went from 104,000 people in that first game to, Oh boy. Like, are there 20,000 people there? It was terrible. Did you go to any of those games? You know, I, I don't think I went to any more that season now that I think about it. I remember they got throttled by the Falcons late in the year. That was actually the game that Jeff Fisher got fired. It was like 45 to six or something like that. It, yeah. it was, that was the year the Falcons had went to the Super Bowl and they just got, they got pummeled by him. And I remember the crowd there, like the announcers were just ragging on it. It's like, Oh, look at the, you know, oh, the Coliseum is not a capacity today. <laughs> and, uh, and so, no, I, I did not, once they were bad and like they were established as bad pretty early on, mm-hmm. I was, I couldn't find it in myself to hop in an airplane and fly out and invest my money to go to these games and feel misery. Well, misery ended when they hired a precocious young 31 year old mm-hmm. coach named Sean McVay that off season. And I just remember hearing like the Rams just hired this guy, he's 31 years old. It was one of those, first of all, he's your age right now, but it's one yeah. of those moments where, and get, get used to this, my friend, when Brady retired, 
I officially became older than every player in the NFL just because I'm slightly older than Whitworth. And yeah. I just, you know, those things sneak up on you. But at the time when they're hiring a coach that's five years younger than I am, I remember thinking like this guy must have really aced the interview process. But even then, nobody picked the Rams to do anything that next year. And then we went to the first couple of games and they just seemed to steal a phrase from Colin Cowherd. They seemed more buttoned up. They seemed more organized. They took Goff, who was absolutely horrendous under Fisher yeah. and just looked like didn't win a game. Didn't win a game. Looked like a looked like a looked like a deer in the headlights. Yes. And he came back and we had <clears throat> Cup was on the team that year, right? That wasn't He was a rookie. That was his rookie he was year. A rookie that year. And all of a sudden, you know, just sort of out with the Tavon Austins of the world and in with the Robert Woods and the Cooper Cups. And all of a sudden, Jared Goff has a nice touch on a deep ball. And I just, I remember watching them and watching these three receivers that were going at different levels because at the time, I feel like the Rams offense looks a little bit different than it does now. McVay is very much someone that will adjust his scheme based on what they had. So they had Todd Gurley and they had Goff and throwing all of these timing patterns that that created a clear pocket for him and rolling him out. What were your first impressions of Sean McVay? And when did when did the Rams win a game or do something that made you sit up and pay attention? Honestly, that, that home opener they had, they faced Indianapolis. And I think Goff went like 303 touchdowns that game uh-huh. at the Coliseum. And they killed them. They killed them. They won by like 30. And it was so yeah, weird to see okay, the Rams. Okay, I remember that. I remember yeah. that. Yep, yep. Yep. It was so weird to see the Rams like blow out a team because they hadn't done that in so many years. And Goff was like, he was he was like almost perfect that game. And he didn't turn the ball over. And it was complete polar opposite of the Goff we saw the year before. So yeah. even from day one, like I was like, okay, I'm cautiously optimistic. Like, I don't know if this is a playoff team, but week one is always kind of like up in the air anyways. Like the Packers lost by 30 to the Saints week one this year. So like sometimes it takes a little bit for teams to get dialed in. But um, right away, like you could tell McVay, like he's such, he's the way he talks, he's so well-spoken, he's so intelligent. And this offense was kind of nobody, like Kyle Shanahan, you know, they all come from the same coaching tree. So like there there was shades of and remnants of in other offenses, but like McVay finally got to like execute this vision and these timing routes, and he really simplified the game for golf, which is like quick passes. You know where you're going with the ball pre-snap for the most part. We know what the coverages are. And having Todd Gurley in his prime in the backfield really makes the game a lot easier as well. And again, you brought in Woods. You brought Cup. You drafted Cup. You brought in Whitworth. You traded for Sammy Watkins or signed him or whatever. So like, they suddenly had like a really talented offense, which under Fisher – it was a revolving door of quarterbacks, a revolving door of wide receivers, offensive line, generally awful. So they really, it was still the core Jeff Fisher team in a weird way, but McVay like fine-tuned it with the players that he wanted that fit like his offense and his vision. It always did feel right from the beginning. And look, people might think this is revisionist history, but it always did feel like Goff was limited and wasn't necessarily a perfect match for McVeigh. Like they, they were, and this happens sometimes in the industry that 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 I'm in, where you go to an agency, let's say, 
you go to an agency to be represented by a particular agent, but then that agent gets busy with something and you get matched with someone else. And it's not that that can't be a successful partnership, but in the back of your mind, you always think to yourself, is this person the reason that I came to this agency? And obviously, if you're Sean McVay, you're 31 years old, you are not going to kick an NFL head coaching job out of bed. But in the back of his mind, he had to have been thinking to himself, you know, I don't necessarily think I, I, I don't necessarily think that this would have been the quarterback that he picked if, if you were, yeah. if you were giving him a truth serum. Yeah. He didn't draft Jared Goff. He was, no. he, uh, he, Jared Goff was there for him when he got there. So when you draft, when you, when Goff's the number one pick, you're locked into that quarterback for minimum four years. There's it's hell to even try to get rid of them. And even so this offseason, the Rams traded, we'll get into that. But like, it's, he, he just had to work with what he had. You play the cards, you were dealt and all things considered great results yielded great results, you know, more than probably anybody had expected. Um, and he made Jared Goff a pro bowler. Um, I mean, Goff has talent. You're not the number one pick for nothing, but again, you said it right. Like he's, he was limited. Deep balls, eh, a little sketchy. Uh, presence in the pocket, eh, subpar, suspect. And uh, and you, you didn't necessarily want to rely on him mm-hmm. to win games when trailing. When they're ahead and the game's easier, sure. And he had flashes, the Chiefs game, the Vikings game as a Sunday nighter, where he looked incredible. And maybe the magic all came together on those nights, but it just wasn't as consistent as anybody would want it to be. Mm-hmm. So that first season under McVay, they go 11-5. and five, They win the NFC West. I think that they stupidly throw away a Week 17 game, and they end up with the Falcons, which it seemed like was a team that they actually kind of cherry-picked. Like he seemed – McVay yeah. seemed almost – seemed really indifferent in an odd way about Week 17. They didn't, they didn't play anybody. They were locked into a – they were locked into a home game, and it blew up in their face. They they just fits and starts, and they never got never got going properly. We're always playing from behind, and, and they lost. So we we go ahead to we go ahead to the next year, and you came into their first Super Bowl season, their second season under McVay, and they were just kicking the shit out of everyone in the league. I think they started eight and one, nine and one, yeah. and yep. this is where I want to take the discussion. At that point in time it was pretty much a given that Todd Gurley was one of, if not the best offensive players in football, period. Period. Then by the end of that year, he's not doing anything in the NFC Championship game. He is a a shell of himself in the future, in the Super Bowl, the the next game. And then the following year, it just ends quietly. And sometimes he would play and sometimes he wouldn't. And yeah. they were saying like, maybe it's a knee thing, but yeah. what happened? Something happened. Oh, uh, we, no. can talk, we can talk conspiracy theories all we want about Jeff Fisher being a plant, <laughs> but what the fuck happened with Todd Gurley? Because I have said for years, I have no inside information. I'm not, I'm not reporting anything. It's, this podcast yeah. is called Dudes Being Dudes because I'm just throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. But it comes across like 
he did something really bad. Like, and again, I'm sorry to speculate, but it's like, did he fuck someone's wife? Did he, did something <laughs> happened? Something happened. You will never be able to convince me that this guy goes from being a top three offensive talent in the National Football League. And then what? He's like out of the league now. And I know that it's a couple of years later, but we yeah. watched him on the Rams and then we watched him just all of a sudden go away. What happened? So if you follow the timeline a little bit, he was really good in the beginning for like the first half of the year. Mm -hmm. um, they were rolling everybody. And then near the end, like the home stretch, I would say like maybe like the last month, month and a half of the season, there was, um, I remember there was a game against Arizona at Arizona and Gurley was inactive. And that's when they signed CJ Anderson and brought him in literally yep. off the streets. Comes yep. in, he's incredible right away. He's, he's fat. Um, and fat CJ Anderson, he, that was great. He's overweight. CJ Anderson hitting the holes. So good. Oh, rushing great. for 150 yards and no one oh, understands why. Yeah. And so there was like, Gurley was like randomly, he was inactive that game, but nope, everybody was being vague about what happened. Like it was like, it's a knee or they said something, but McVeigh in all press conferences, he never gives much anyways in the media, but like he was very vague, beat writers vague. Nobody knows anything, but whatever. You don't really think twice about it. Gurley comes back and now they're in like almost like a, a committee with each other. So you sign CJ Anderson, who's fat off the street, comes in and he's suddenly splitting carries with the defending offensive player of the year. And it's weird. Um, so then they go into the playoffs and in the, uh, divisional game against the Cowboys, against, against the Cowboys on Saturday night, the Coliseum, very, very cool scene packed to the awesome brims. Scene. It's a, it's a scene that you can't recreate in, in modern day sports because the Coliseum is just all one level. There's no boxes. It's not interrupted. So when yeah. you're there under the lights on that Saturday night, it, it frankly just doesn't get any cooler. It, it's. The stadium is still a, yeah. it's still a dump, and it's not in the nicest dump. neighborhood. But once you get in there and you get to your seat, it's kind of second to none. So that Saturday night yeah. with C.J. Anderson, Todd Gurley goes from essentially being inactive, and he's awesome in the Cowboys game. Explosive. He had like 150 yards. They both had over 100 yards rushing. They mm -hmm. both had touchdowns. They were awesome. They ran up and down the field on the Cowboys. And the game was actually probably closer than it looked scoreboard-wise. They were ahead the whole time. And yeah, when the Rams never, were running the ball. Never, were, never worried. Never worried. Never really worried. It, it was maybe like a one-score game for some portions of it. But you just never felt like the Rams were in danger at any point. And, yeah, the atmosphere that – it was the last great Coliseum atmosphere, I think. The following year, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. they didn't make the playoffs. They had some big games because they were still good. But in terms of, like – the magnitude of the game being it's a divisional round game and the, the expectations are now you have to win this game. That was, yeah, I had great videos from that night. It's just the crowd was just buzzing, but, uh, but yeah, girly looks great in that game. And then, you know, we go to new Orleans and Todd girl, nowhere to be seen. Found. Nowhere to be seen. Might as well have not dressed period. Was yeah, he was not there. And, and, and it put this for those who, you know, weren't there we were both there there mm -hmm. was minimal rams fans there i don't know if anybody Correct. has been to a game at the superdome um it's loud it's Oof. it's a it's loud and on that day in particular i remember um noelle had she's like i can't sit here i need to get earplugs or toilet paper or something i need to remove myself in the situation and she goes she finds that and even i who I was like, oh, it's a noise, crowd noise. My, I had a throbbing headache the whole entire game That's from the noise. 
I was having breakfast that morning in New Orleans, and someone said to me, they said, you going to the game? They saw me in my Rams stuff. I said, yeah. And I was, we were five, six rows above the Rams bench. We had great seats. The guy at breakfast said, you're going to want to bring some earplugs. And I said, you know, I, I'm not too worried about it. I was here for the regular season matchup for Saints and Rams as well. And I'm sitting in roughly the same spot. He goes, yeah, I know. That was the regular season, and and this is the playoffs. And sure enough, by halftime, I felt like yeah. I was – I felt concussed, but again, so I don't get too far in the weeds here, but some, some girly has to, in my opinion, it's like, he knows where some bodies are buried. Yeah. Some, some, someone is not, someone is not telling us something like we go to the Super Bowl, and I don't want to jump ahead all the way there, but Eric Weddle. In that Super Bowl, you're watching him because at the beginning of the game, he tears his pec. And I don't know what yes. he does to stay in the game because that's insane. a that's a, insane. That, that's an injury that we've seen a couple of times in, in pro wrestling. And we've seen some guys tough it out a little bit. I think about I think about Hunter toughed it out. I think Triple H was wrestling over in yeah. Saudi Arabia and he tore I think he tore yep. his pec as well. And he kept yep. going, but I mean obviously they just shot him up with something, but you would he, the point my point is that you you saw Eric Weddle and you go, okay, I get it. This guy has hurt himself, but Gurley would go from dominating the Dallas Cowboys to not being a thing in the NFC Championship game. And then they go into all of their press for the Super Bowl. People are like, hey, coach, you know, how's Todd going to be involved in the game plan? He's like, yeah, Todd's going to be involved. Gurley's going to be involved. Like he's our, he's our number one back. Oh, okay. But like, what? Then, then where was he? Like, were you guys trying to win the game? Are you saving him for like the the real NFC Championship game? Like, what's the story? No one will ever be able to explain this. I, someone write the book, figure it out. It's gonna fucking confuse Please. me for the rest of my life. Please, yeah. So the Rams go to the Super Bowl. We don't want to talk about it. It sucked. No. It was stressful. I mean, there's nothing to talk about. Yeah. It, there's nothing to talk about. You had to root against Brady and Belichick. It was weird that the, there weren't a ton of Rams fans there. There's a lot of Patriots fans. Yeah. Um, and it was just weird. It was it was the as I've said the most expensive Maroon Five concert I'd ever been to. Oh, man, and not particularly a good one either. No, not a not a good one at all. I don't want to rip on Maroon Five because I already tweeted about them when I was at the Super Bowl this past Sunday, just joking about how. I think we upgraded slightly with our with our halftime just a little experience. bit but the following the the following year the Rams missed the playoffs as most Super Bowl losing teams do um, and at a certain point in that year something changes for me with Goff because he was really bad in the Super Bowl and he wasn't helped out a ton by by his O-line and Brian Flores had a great scheme as the defensive coordinator for the Patriots and Brandon Cooks didn't come back to the ball a few times and maybe it ends yeah. up differently. But do you feel like something shifted in his confidence after that game? Because it may have seemed like he was the same player. And I think from a statistical standpoint, his stats are going to match up. But you and I both know if you're at the games, the number of times that he's throwing a six-yard check down when they're down by 10 with seven minutes left of the game. And you're just oh my like, God. look, Jared, I mean, it's it's great, but what the fuck are you doing? Like, th- there's, right. this, is not, this is not the way by which we go about winning the game. No, I, I think the narrative changed on golf after the Super Bowl because he was so bad in the Super Bowl 
after having such a great year. And now everybody's like, oh, maybe he because everybody, even when he got drafted, they're like, oh, he's not worthy of the number one pick. It's a weak right. quarterback draft, right. you know. So there was already predispositions about him, anyways. So he it didn't spent help. Two it didn't years. help that it didn't help that Carson Wentz had that one season when he would have been the MVP if he didn't get hurt playing right. the, right. Rams, the Rams. The year that the Philly, the, the year that the Eagles actually won the title. But it was it was yeah. like it was like it was a mistake. And of course, well, if McVay had his choice, he would definitely take Wentz. And it seems like yeah. that stuff finally started to get to him. Yeah, and I get the sense, too, that there is weird locker room stuff on that side. Because I think the Goff and McVay relationship started to fracture more and more. Sure. McVay clearly did not trust in Goff as much as he should have. He was not letting him maybe throw the ball as much as Goff would have liked to. And and he had his reasons. And Goff was prone to turnovers and really devastating turnovers, really idiotic turnovers. Um, yeah. And quarterbacks turn the ball over, but... Goffs were happening far too often between 2019 and 2020, like last season. They were, some of them were just inexcusable, like where he's rolling out and he's float, he just tosses a little floater right into the defender's hands, or he has no pocket presence and no semblance of the rush, and he just gets strip sacked constantly. So something went wrong in the middle of that year where, like, this the offense was broken again. Todd Gurley was basically a non factor, and but was it there. Just, the, but was but was, was there he was getting so, paid an absurd amount of money, the richest contract in the history of the league for a running back, yeah. which they didn't need to give him at the time either. They they rewarded no. him, and they rewarded <laughs> Goff, and it ended up really. At this point, it doesn't matter, but it hampered the Rams for those couple years. The other thing people forget about that season that they went to the Super Bowl, and then we'll we'll move on because we do actually need to get to the Super Bowl win they had was they were rolling along. And I want to say week 11, week 12, and I was at a game in the in the Coliseum. I can't remember who they were playing. Uh, I believe they ended up winning the game, but Goff went, Goff, excuse me, Cup went streaking down the sideline closest to us on the Rams side of the field where their bench was, and all of a sudden went down non-contact, and it was very clear that his ACL exploded, and Knowing what we know now about how good he was, he wasn't the Cooper Cup that we see now back then, but he was a no. reasonable facsimile. Yeah. It's just that he didn't have Matthew Stafford throwing him the ball. And we'll get to Stafford, but you'd like to think that maybe it would be different if if Cup was He around. was Goff's security blanket. He trusted yeah. Goff trusted him a lot when they needed a first down and stuff. So even if he wasn't putting up monster numbers, he was the guy they would target. So what I heard, and I'll never forget this, Colin Cowherd was saying it, that the the game that McVay was done with Goff was actually in the 2020 season. They had a week where they played the 49ers at SoFi with no fans, but still. And they were they had lost to the 49ers at this point three times in a row. And yeah. the 49ers were playing uh, the backup's backup quarterback and the Rams couldn't get the fucking job done at home. And McVay was like, okay, that's enough. Of this enough, because, enough. Because you'll remember for the Rams to actually go into the playoffs that year and they end up beating the Seahawks in the first round. He was, McVay was fully prepared and I think did in the playoffs start John Wolford, the backup? John Wolford, the Wolf of Ball Street. Yeah. He, um, he was waiting 
in a weird way, and it's, it's going to sound awful, he was waiting for Jared Goff to get hurt. Yeah. Not seriously injured, but, you know, he, he sprained his thumb or whatever it was. He wanted to just have a new toy to play with. So when Wolford started the Week 17 game against the Cardinals, um, which I believe was – it was – they had to win to get into the playoffs, though, because they didn't win the they division did. that year. They yeah. Um, and, like, Wolford showed a little bit of – he was a little bit of juice. He, he was mobile. Um, he doesn't have a big arm or anything, but he was mobile. They could roll out the pocket. They were doing design draws and, and read options, which we've never seen the Rams do. Mm-hmm. So I think McVay got excited. And yeah, he was, they, they were vague about Goff's injury. And then Goff was active in the Seahawks playoff game. And then, of course, Wolford goes down on a brutal helmet to helmet first drive. Yep. And in comes in Jared Goff with the thumb taped up and everything. And goes and wins the game. Didn't do much, but didn't lose them the game. I think as a Rams fan, we know that going into the next round, the divisional round against the Packers, I, I, yeah. I thought that was maybe a 5% chance that we could win that game. Yeah. Like maybe 5%. Yeah. I don't think that – Actually, golf wasn't, point... even, golf wasn't even bad in that game either. Like he didn't do anything out of like crazy, but he really didn't like turn the ball over all that. The Packers were just better. And yeah, no – no Rams fan worth their salt thought that there was a fucking chance that they were going to beat the Packers in in Lambeau. So that brings us to this past offseason. And where were you when you heard that Stafford for Goff plus a couple of first-round picks was going to happen? What were I can your tell first you exactly. Sitting on, sitting on my couch. And the, the trade news broke late in the day. So I was in Chicago. Yeah. And it was like maybe like 11 o'clock or midnight. We were watching a movie. Get the notification on my phone. I literally legitimately jumped off the couch and like screamed like, Oh my, like, I like, it was like, I was like, Oh my God. And Noelle sitting on the other couch and she got like scared. She's like, what's wrong? And I was like, no. And cause it was like hitting me at once. My brain was processing it. And I was like, the Rams are trade Jared Goff. And she doesn't really understand what's happening. She's why would they trade Jared Goff? And I'm like, it doesn't sound important. And then, you know, the details come in and I'm like, okay, they're, they're giving away a lot here. Not only are they trading golf, they're trading away two first round picks and uh, I think like a third round pick too. And, but they're getting Matthew Stafford. Now Stafford is a very polarizing player. Maybe not right this second, but going into the season for the last 12 years, very polarizing. Is he good? People didn't know. Sure. He puts up numbers. Sure. He, you know, has had pro bowl seasons, never won a playoff game. Never it had been a playoffs only three times, but he was on the lions was mm-hmm. not in a great spot for success. So, I mean, I was excited for something new. And, and you could tell even after the Rams lost to the Packers, McVay was in the press conference after his game. They're like, is Jared Goff your quarterback? He's like, he's our quarterback right now. Yeah. So the writing was on the wall. And I think it was two weeks later that the trade went down. Um, and it was right it was, I think it was right after the Super Bowl. And there was probably some tampering that went on, uh, considering they were all in Cabo at the time when the trade broke. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. I think. But is uh, your, but yeah, is that I mean, your is that your expert opinion? They're, they're tampering confirmed. Yeah, they yeah. were they were tampering and tampering. They couldn't stop tampering. How are they all in the same exact hotel resort with like I think Whitworth was there to McVeigh and Stafford, and they had never met before, and mm-hmm. the trade breaks while they're in Cabo with each other. I don't know. Something weird happened, and you know what? I don't care what happened as long as Matthew Stafford made it to the Rams. Well. I was a big I was a big proponent of the trade just because yeah. if you trust in McVay as the coach and Les Snead as the general manager, it wasn't just that they were giving up golf, it's that they were also willing to give up these 
these two picks. And I just, a lot of the people that I trusted when it comes to listening about football were like, no, you got to understand that, that Matthew Stafford is good. So from that perspective, what's the thing about watching him in person? Cause I know my answer for this and I can go first if you want me to, but what about yeah. Stafford in person? Do you think that they saw that, that justifies not just giving them golf, but giving them this, future draft capital, basically paying a premium for a player like yeah. this and and basically specifically saying, even if they didn't say it in public, this guy is a clear upgrade, a definitive yeah. upgrade from our previous quarterback. So I would say three things popped in my head right away. So if you just go on pure talent, arm talent alone, Stafford is, you can make an argument he's in almost a league of his own with just pure arm strength and the ability to make big plays. Uh, another big one I would say is poise. He's poised. He doesn't get rattled. Sure. He can make mistakes. And and again, every quarterback does, but you feel very confident with him in the pocket. You just feel like he's going to make a play when he has to. And I think the other thing is leadership. Um, Goff wasn't a vocal. I wouldn't I even, mean, he was a captain, but I wouldn't look at golf as the leader of the team by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. So Stafford's got some moxie to him. He's got some swag to him. He shows emotion. Golf never did those things. So those are the, like the three things that really stand out to me. I don't know where you fall on that, but um, I'm curious to hear. The biggest thing that I noticed, and we spoke about this earlier in the podcast is they specifically designed plays where they would roll Goff out so that, you know, he's, he might get hit, but he's not going to get blindside blown up in the pocket because he's waiting for the, for the deep nine route to come open way, way, way down the field. Yeah. They'd roll him out and he'd throw these interceptions or whatever. Stafford in person, a number of times, this year that he's completed a pass and your eyes are on the path that he's completed to OBJ or Cooper cup or Higby or Bobby trees in person, what you see, which you never really saw that much with Goff. So I'm just going to just block some light that I have coming in here that you never really saw with Goff was he stands in there and gets the shit kicked out of him and he doesn't complain and he doesn't bitch out his offensive linemen. Never. And he's and he's never never chewing out a receiver, at least in public that we can see for fucking up a route or something like that. This guy stands no. in, gets the shit kicked out of him, and just comes back again. And I've watched him walk to the sidelines multiple times this year with a serious limp. And yeah. then he's just back out. And plays again. I mean, even we saw it in the Super Bowl. He fully ankle. got rolled up on his ankle, goes to the sideline, gets that fucker taped up. You'd never hear about it. So nope. I think that I think that he just as a quarterback, and sorry for the crass example, but even when he's throwing interceptions, it's because he's it's because he's whipping his dick out and putting it on the table and saying, Look, this is what we do. And if I'm gonna make a mistake, I'm gonna make it by being aggressive. And it just seems like the guys that he is playing with on that offense and to a larger extent, even the defense who, you know, have to sell out and, you know, really get after it because they believe in this guy. It just seemed like yeah. there was just a firm, firm belief. And even when, even when he was throwing picks, you know, it's just because like, look, he's going to, he's, if you're, if you're going to complain about the picks, then don't complain when on the first, 
you know, game of the season that we all see, his second pass as a Ram is a 60-yard bomb in the air to Van Jefferson. It's like, mm-hmm. if you want that, then stop complaining about the picks. I just thought yep. I thought he was a I thought he was a joy to watch. And I'll tell you, I feel bad for the people of St. Louis. I almost feel pretty bad for the people <laughs> of Detroit today because people are just just it's just generally accepted that that this is a, a an incredibly singularly talented individual that despite all of these incredible you know, 1% of 1% of 1% level gifts that he has couldn't overcome <laughs> the fucking Detroit Lions, who, by the way, no. have the exact same amount of money to spend on a yearly basis on players and staff and personnel as the Rams do. And yep. it's just, oh, my goodness. Ineptitude oh. at its at the highest level for so many years. And, you know, I, I saw that like, the Detroit fans, have they love Stafford. They mm-hmm. embrace Stafford after he got traded. They're doing the Detroit Rams merch. They're flying off the shelves. So, like, I respect the fan base for loving Stafford. But, yeah, I mean, it, it sucks, Detroit, that now he's a Super Bowl champion. But uh, you got Jared Goff, so you should be happy about that. Well, I like Goff, too. He seems like a good guy. So let's let's yeah. go through this season. because we could, this, we could go on for a long time with this. But let's go through this season. Um, first game that you went to. Uh, op- opening night, Bears and Rams. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. Bears Rams Sunday Night Football. Some basic impressions of SoFi, which, with respect, has worked through a lot of the kinks this year. Uh, um, you know, it's a brand new stadium, and the people that they were bringing in weren't even allowed to go in there prior to the first preseason game yeah. that they did because of all the COVID restrictions, et cetera, et cetera. But impressions of SoFi and just it just it just feels different if we talked about how watching that first episode of hard knocks and i was watching jeff fisher set up his office thinking to myself jesus jesus christ this seems like a rinky dink operation and then you go from that to sofi stadium sunday night football week one against the bears like what were your impressions of the stadium when you first walked in it even if you go back even further, like in my fandom personally, like I went to games at the Edward Jones Dome. It, it's not a great facility. It's dark. It's dingy. There's not amazing amenities. It's been there for a couple decades. So from going from that to what SoFi is now, it's almost like I switched fan bases, so like switched teams somewhere in the middle because it, they definitely don't feel like the same team. So it's, it's man, it's awesome. I try telling everybody like it's, it's insane. Like people don't understand like when you walk in, ground level is like the 400 level. The field is in a valley. You have to go down how many escalators to get to generally where we're sitting. And it's it's just state of the yards, like the, the sides being open, the, the natural light coming in from the top. Uh-huh. And um, it's incredible. Like, I don't think any, like, I don't even know what stadiums are even like construction right now, but nothing's going to touch this place for the next decade. Like Dallas is up there because of the sheer size of it and it's yeah. just it does seat more and hold more but sofi was almost double the price tag so I, yeah it's la but like can i do my analogy of the of the cowboy stadium that yeah, i don't know please. if i've told you or not the cowboy stadium <laughs> reminds me of the guy that he's he, he lives in a condo and it's a nice condo but it's like 1100 square feet and despite the fact that it's 1100 square feet He's got like a 96 inch television in there. 
right? And you're just That's thinking pretty yourself, accurate. You're like, yo, man, like it's cool that you've got that nice television, but I don't know, maybe splurge on an extra, you know, two or three hundred square feet and get something smaller because you go in there and it's all that fucking video board is all you can see. I all mean, I it's just. See. I mean, listen, it's. It's, it's cool, awesome. I, I love. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna shit on Jerry, Jerry World because it was. It first of all, it's it's been there since 2000. It's 2009. Like we're coming up on 15 years of that. Coming yeah, up on wow. 15 years of that stadium, which is which is kind of incredible. So obviously there'll be there'll be a new wave of stadiums. But I'm also trying to think of. There aren't. Aside from Lambo, which we can talk about later because we were both there for arguably the lowest point of the Rams season, probably, there aren't really any old football stadiums anymore, with the exception of where the Bills play. But I don't think they're going to be building a brand new stadium in in Buffalo. I think they're just going to make, make do with what they have there. But that's got like a feel to it, anyways. That's like, that's it, it it, it works for Buffalo. It does. It does, but yeah. there aren't really any other franchises that are candidates. I mean, I, I, you hear Chicago sometimes people don't like Soldier Field, but that seems like a pretty, and you could probably speak to this too. That seems like a pretty yeah. convoluted ownership situation. It's owned by so a it's a mess and- there. It's a mess. Yeah, I mean, there's there this they've bought the Bears ownership group has now bought land in one of the suburbs that actually mm-hmm. where I, right around where I grew up and it's beautiful land, but it's nowhere near the city. It's, it's 25, 30 minutes away. And the, I think soldier field, I could be wrong on this. I think it's a small stadium in the NFL, like capacity wise for seating. And they had, this is with, they added a whole portion on top and it actually, it, it didn't really even increase capacity at all. It just ran them for more money. Um, the stadium itself has been up for, I don't even know how long, decades and decades and decades. I don't know if it's even, it could be like 175 years at this point, but it's, uh, but yeah, there, it's a mess over there. And that's, that's a whole other thing. But other than that, like Cleveland has been around, the stadium has been there for a while, but again, that's another one where it's kind of got like, it's a factory. So they refer to it as a factory of sadness, but uh, it's kind of got like a luster to it still. So other, I don't know who the even candidates would be at this point. Okay. All right. Well, let's charge towards the Super Bowl and forget about stadiums for a second. Explain why, and this is going to seem like overkill because he just won Offensive Player of the Year. He won Super Bowl MVP. just had the greatest overall statistical season that a wide receiver, frankly, has ever had. Although I still think that I I wasn't around for Jerry Rice, and that's clearly a very, very different era. But Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll stand all day for... Randy Moss's first season with the Patriots when they went 18 yeah. and one, just because I mean, what, what cups doing is different, but what Moss was doing was just kind of just, I, I feel like reached a different level of athleticism. Just yeah. And he had in, touchdown. I mean, how many touchdowns did he have that year? He was just, 20, it was like the perfect 20, storm. It was in the twenties. It was in the mid twenties. And it was, that was unheard of, unheard mm-hmm. of. It just felt like he was getting open every time. But what makes Cooper cup great? I have I have an idea. If you'd like me to go first, you, oh, you take the floor. This one, first one. Okay. Go All right. Here we go. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what makes Cooper Cup great. Um, he's always wide fucking open, and you ask yourself, well, why is that? And it's like, well, is it McVeigh's scheme? Is it whatever the Rams are doing? It's like, sure, I, that's. That's part of it. But when I say this, I say he catches the ball all the time. And Stafford throws him the ball all the time. 
because he's just open. So how is he doing that? Well, clearly he has a set of skills where it, it seems as though he has the ability to operate at 100% efficiency and effort and output, but is also able to be thoughtful and shifty and is able to slow the game down for him. Like on the fourth and one, when he gets the ball behind the line of scrimmage, where if the Rams don't convert that fourth down, it's not season over, but it's big, 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 big Mm -hmm. trouble for the Rams. If he just barrels ahead, like a lot of players do, and focuses on speed just to try to get around that corner, he doesn't get around that corner. In fact, he runs into the defensive player for Cincinnati. Right into him. Lots of three. Yeah, but he, he has the ability to 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 slow down, to be shifty, to get skinny. And even then, once he's about to get tackled, he does this weird thing where he'll put both arms around the ball. He'll kind of hunch a little <laughs> bit. And it's like players are expecting him to go down and he'll fall forward for like another six or seven yards. We keep yeah. seeing this happen. And to people are like, well, you're oversimplifying this. I would say, well, okay, then – Show me another guy in the NFL because you can have the conversation all day about like, is Justin Jefferson as talented? Is Jamar Chase as talented? Is Devontae Adams as talented? Yeah, I'm I'm sure they are. But show me another guy in the NFL that's doing what Cup is doing on a consistent basis. There's no, there's no precedent for it. It doesn't exist. No, no, and like and like the guys you listed, those guys are you. You could safely say they're more athletically gifted than cup in the terms of like cup ran, runs like coming out of school he ran like a 4 6 40 as a wide receiver that's not great like and now in nowadays fast. nfl like tyree kill runs a 4 2 there's a significant difference in those four tenths of a second mm-hmm. and cup like he's not six foot five he's not six foot six he's a big guy he's not a slot receiver like wes welker or danny amendola but cup his route running is incredible and it's not even it's a surprise, but almost in a way, like it's not, he dominated in college. He went to Eastern Washington, a small school, but he was the NCAA like division. I, mean, I don't know if they're a division one or division two, like yards and receptions leader at the mm-hmm. time. And he was successful all throughout college, but he fell the third round probably because of the competition he had faced. Um, and, and again, numbers mean a lot in the draft process to teams. So when you see a guy run four, six and, you know, maybe he's not as shifty as you like him to be. Then you're going to go for maybe the shinier toy that can get open on a 70-yard route. So Cup's sure. route running is just incredible. His footwork, the way he gets off the line, and then his yards after the catch, it's insane. Like you said, he does the move. He covers up and he pushes ahead. You, you throw a screen to him when you're third and 10, and he somehow gets 18 yards. And you're like, how did that happen? He got hit, you know, four or five yards before the sticks. Well, that happened. That happened in the first game of the year against Chicago. There was a third and sixteen play or something like that. Yeah, and third they and a threw mile. It, and they threw it to Cup as a as a bubble screen. And they love doing <clears> that on third and long. Yeah. And he just he just gets slow and and gets shifty and gets really really hard to tackle. But let's look at the different ways that he scored touchdowns just just in this postseason yeah. to maybe better illustrate what we're talking about here, or just in the ways that he would the way that he would make an impact. You think about that fourth and one play. That's a handoff that he's taking behind the line of scrimmage with the Bengals ostensibly in a goal line defense trying to win the Super Bowl. The Rams have no other receivers at that point, and you're able to give him the ball. He's able to get shifty, get five yards, keep the game going. Think about that. And that says a lot about that. That says a lot about that. Jump in real quick. Like 
that McVeigh drew that play up because he wanted to put the ball in his best player's hands in that exact 100%. moment, however possible. A hundred percent. You think back to to Tampa Bay. He scores on a on a big touchdown on a on a busted coverage, but on that final drive, you know, he's able to get open down the field, get out of bounds on the stick. So he's mm-hmm. able to run a precision route. And then on the following yep. play, uh, you know, they they bring a full blitz, but he's still able to beat a safety on just a nine route or what the Rams call yep. apparently a for love of the game route. I love just of the found game. that out. I think that that's yeah, really Peter cool. Schrager. Yeah. 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 Peter Schrager. Yeah. Peter Schrager dropped yeah. that nugget, the love of the game route. So he scores on that. He scores his first touchdown in the Super Bowl with just some precision route running that mm-hmm. is – you can make fun of the defensive backs all you want, but he's clearly doing something that is freezing them because he's ending up in the corner of the end zone where everyone assumes he's going to get the ball, but he's fucking wide open in front of two people. So precision yep. route running. And then you and then you you go to the most important catch that he made against both the 49ers – and against the Bengals, which is 12, 15 yards down the field, middle of the field, four guys around him, nut crunching time, fourth quarter, and he's snatching it out of the air with what looked like the best hands in the league, save for maybe, save for maybe our, our man, OBJ, um, you know, pour a 40 out for, for our guy. That was mm. really rough to see when that yeah, happened, yeah. when he got injured in the Super Bowl. But yeah. you name it, you, you line up the scenario that you would ask of an offensive player running the ball, speed, precision, awareness, <laughs> bravery, uh, physicality. Because on that last touchdown that he scored to to win the game, to win the Super Bowl, it was all about body position and the ability to be physical and then just catch the ball. I mean, what, what he can't bad- he do? He was bottled up for most of the game, actually, up until yeah. that final drive. Like, he had a couple, like, decent chunk plays, but he was only hovering around, like, 50, 60 yards going into the fourth quarter. And then that last drive, like, the, the problem was when OBJ gets hurt, Van Jefferson's not getting open. Ben Skoranek's not getting open. We're down Tyler Higby already. The backup, Kendall Blanton, also gets hurt. So now we're on our third string tight end. They can't run the ball. So what are the defenses going to do? We're going to double fucking Cooper Cup. We're not letting Cooper Cup beat us. So he was quiet for that second and third quarter after OBJ got hurt. And then that last drive, it was just like, I'm getting open and you're going to throw me the ball and we're going to win the fucking game. And that's exactly what happened. And, and again, like even you go back to that Tampa game, everyone remembers the for the love of the game, just fly route to win the game. But that 25-yard catch that set that up, yeah. the route he ran on that, the defender fell over. The, the, the defender didn't fall over just because it was a turf monster. He fell over because Cooper Cup shook him out of his goddamn pace. <laughs> Like it's wow. just it, it's a big man's game, and he and he made a big play right there, and and it's it's just incredible. And I almost feel like he's still underrated by some people. I, I maybe I, not I, maybe not right this second, but it, he was. Everyone talked about Devonte Adams, like you said. Jamar Chase is the new flavor of the week, and, and and you know Cup is you know he can't do those things some of those guys do. He's on eighty yard, you bomb it down the field to him, guy like Jamar Chase. But the guy had eighteen hundred receiving yards this year. Yeah, he's a triple crown winner. I mean, what more can you what more can you do? Super Bowl MVP is a wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's keep the love fest going here and then we'll talk about the Super Bowl. Tell me about watching Aaron Donald in person and the things that people can't see on TV that make this guy special. He's, he's a mesmerizing human being. 
for a variety of reasons. Going back to the Niners game, the NFC Championship, like the way that he rallied the troops on the sidelines, we were both, you know, on that vicinity of the field. And like he willed that team to win. The Niners never even crossed into Rams territory after he held that little team meeting. And they obviously didn't get any points. And he's just, it doesn't matter how many guys you put on him. He is relentless. Every single snap, he does not take a playoff. Generally, you rotate linemen in and outs because they're pass That's rushing. Right. It takes a lot out of you. Von Miller checks out. He probably plays 70% of the snaps. Leonard Floyd checks out. Probably plays around the same. If you look at the snap counts, Aaron Donald, normally, if he comes out of the game, it's for like two or three plays a game. Otherwise, he's playing 100% of the snaps. Let's say in an average football game, you're going to 70 defensive snaps. The man does not stop. And he almost gets better as the game goes on because also he's wearing down these poor offensive linemen. Right. So that's 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 a really excellent point. When you think about the last two games that the Rams played, because the script for both the 49ers NFC Championship game and the Bengals Super Bowl was very much the same insofar as yeah. the defensive front for the Rams – and the defense in general, they were not getting home on the on the quarterback. They weren't sacking Garoppolo, and they weren't no. sacking Burrow for the first half of the game. I was listening yesterday on the last 22 dropbacks for Burrow in the Super Bowl. He was sacked seven times. And that doesn't count the last play of the game, the fourth and one, where he just threw it away because Donald was about to make it eight out of 22. But what you're seeing is like what you just said, you are seeing Aaron Donald just over the course of a game, like demoralize the other team, like take away their will to compete because to put two guys, to put two offensive linemen on someone, there's one sack that he has in the game. And this, this, this clip is not getting as much run because it wasn't the fourth and one play where he sacks Joe Burrow just by bull rushing the right yeah. guard or the right tackle. He just takes another man who plays professional football at in the, the highest Bowl, level, at the highest possible level, and he just pushes like he's a high him back into the quarterback. It it like it yeah. looks it looks not it looks unfair. Like if this were the UFC, yeah. Dana White wouldn't you wouldn't have the fight. Because yeah. they'd be like, no, nah, it's it's a different. No, we don't we don't line up people in different weight classes. But in this instance, both of these guys are professionals, and yeah. one of them is getting paid millions of, of dollars to do these these exact jobs. And for for the uninitiated, and if you're still sticking with us right now, and you don't know what a bull rush is, then you must be a real big fan of me because th- this is just football chat right now. A bull rush is just you go straight ahead. There's no move. There's no deception. It's just I'm stronger than you. And he's taking a guy who knows what the play is and he's pushing him back into the quarterback and he's getting him there in like three seconds. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And, and, and I saw a stat and I don't know the exact, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but for this, in this game, the pass block percentage winning rate that the Bengals had against the Rams defensive line was mm-hmm. the lowest percentage of win rate in any NFL game this season. That's how dominant the Rams were in the second half that they made up for whatever they weren't doing in the first half. Come then they again, relentless, just breaking their spirits, honestly, and just beating them. 
time and time again. And it's Donald leading the charge. And sacks are almost a deceiving stat. Everyone looks at sacks, sacks, sacks when it comes to like defensive player of the year or any sort of individual accolades. Like Donald is, he never, he, he may have only, he's may have led the NFL in sacks maybe once in his career. It might have been one time, he two did, years ago. Should have, should like 20 not, and a half. It should not happen. He's a def- for the position, He's interior lineman. No, it shouldn't happen. No, it, normally it's it's guys coming off the edge. It's always been that way, and he plays the interior, which is unheard of. And but he the the amount of times he gets double and triple team is significantly higher than anybody else in the NFL. And he creates pressure, even if he doesn't get to you. Just his presence of being there is enough to basically generate a negative play or an incompletion, which mm-hmm. in some cases is just as good as a sack. The one thing that he doesn't get a lot of credit for, too, and I, I would like to want to talk about him in a broader context and then we'll get to the actual day of the Super Bowl. But in a in a broader context, I lost my train of thought here just for a second. Oh, it'll come back to me. So many Aaron okay. Donald related things. Yeah, no, it's gone. He's he, here's the thing. Aaron here's we'll put a bow on it. Aaron Donald is the greatest interior defensive lineman to ever play the game of football. Yeah, that's a that, that's a good yeah. He's not an. You can make arguments for other guys, I think. Yeah, but no, no, you're. His career's not even over yet. It, no, it's not. But he had all of the accolades, and it it's pretty cool. Uh, he, I mean, he obviously he disrupted Brady a couple of times, but he gets to theoretically say that you know he was the he was the guy and part of the defense that shut down Brady. He was so awesome in that first game against Arizona. He's been an ass kicker for a very very long time, but then yeah. when when the the situation like when it mattered most yep. in both the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl it it came away with the same thing which is it, it didn't come off as a sack which is why as you yeah. said sometimes that stat is overrated but he took the critical play of the game third down against the Niners and fourth down against the Bengals and he absolutely blew it up period ended the game ended, ended the game, the game. Right. And that's the one guy as an offense you want to stop, and he still finds a way. It also it just goes it just goes to show too, like he's done it now. He's done it now on the biggest stage, like the yeah. the you know maybe he puts another exclamation point on on the story that you tell about him, but he's he's definitely got one now. He's got the yeah. exclamation point, like best player in the league on the defensive side of the ball for a number of years, and then after one of his best seasons just kicks the shit out of everybody in the playoffs and is, and is what we will remember. And certainly I think could have, could have been the MVP. And I don't think that anyone would have had a problem with it. Nobody would argue that. And the visual of him pointing at his ring finger after he made both plays against the, against the Niners and the Bengals. Iconic. It's iconic. I was just going to say iconic. So let's get to the, let's get to the actual day of the game because we've taken longer than we probably should (laughs) have. here but i mean listen when your team wins the title, <laughs> we're gushing we're very happy your team wins the title your team wins the title so the day of the game uh, you and i saw each other on i think friday afternoon but then on sunday morning you uh, came over early and you drove down to the stadium with myself my wife cassandra and our friends elisa and george who you have gotten to know as well but we had a little yeah. we had uh, people made fun of me at the beginning, but before we left the house, I started a, a fire in my fire pit backyard in my, in my backyard. And we all wrote down some of our, of our memories about the Rams and maybe the previous Super Bowl that we would like to 
to move on from. Do you want to share what you wrote down on that piece of paper or something of the yeah. like? You don't have to be too specific. Yeah, we, I mean, it goes full circle. We talked about earlier. My first devastating sports loss was the Super Bowl against the Patriots, Super Bowl 36. Mm -hmm. I remember it 20 years later, how I felt that night. It's mm -hmm. haunted me ever since. Oh, wow. I refuse to even watch that field goal a lot of times at this point. <laughs> it, it really gave me childhood trauma. And for 20 years, I've harbored this childhood trauma and have lived through awful, awful after awful Ram season. So now 20 years later, I got to then put pen to paper, write it down as we all did and throw in the fire and extinguish it. And hopefully at that point we did it, move on from it and never look back. I wrote and down a few things, but I also took my ticket from the 2019 Super Bowl yes, you did. <laughs> and threw it in there. And I had a jacket that I bought at the Super Bowl, which I thought about throwing in the fire, but I knew how mad my wife would get at me. So I she was already it. questioning you bringing it and giving it away. That's right. I thought about bringing it to the stadium and then giving it away, but I didn't want someone else to bring it into the game. So now we know that this jacket that I bought that had every Super Bowl logo on it all the beautiful way Beautiful jacket. Beautiful, beautiful jacket. Beautiful jacket. Now I can wear it again and know that it's not cursed because yeah. the Rams have won the 2022 World Championship. So we go down to the stadium. We get there early. And the thing that people don't realize about the Super Bowl is it's such a high level potential target for nefarious folks of, of all shapes and sizes that they take away all the parking around the stadium. And it's, it's a very, very unique experience. I mean, typically speaking, SoFi doesn't open the stadium until two hours prior to kickoff. But in this instance, the game was at 3.30 on the West Coast, and they opened the stadium at 11.30. We got in there after finding a very lovely spot that we parked on someone's lawn up by the Forum and then walked in, finally got ourselves in. It was very hot. It was a little confusing. Very hot. But we're, we're in the stadium. We're about three hours and 15 minutes until kickoff. What's your first thought when you get in there? So I remember when we were walking in, you were like, I don't feel much. I don't feel many nerves. And I was, and I thought to myself after that, I'm like, you know what? I don't either. Because going back to 2019, we had said the same thing. Like I was feeling a lot of nerves, was not feeling very confident naturally because it's Brady and Belichick and it's the first time you're there. It's the first time you're experiencing it. So in like a weird way, you know, we, we didn't play the game, but we've been there before, literally mm -hmm. have been there before. Mm -hmm. So we kind of understand the process. So when I walked in, honestly, I was pretty calm and we got an early. So it was pretty empty at that point. And, and the buzz maybe had not had been there yet. And then we had sat and we had aged and we sat around talking and, and kind of like the concourse for a while as they filled up. And I think I had went to my seat to take some photos and then I came back and then you're like, I'm going to go to my seat. And then you came back and you're like, all right, it's time to go. It's time. You're like, I'm feeling it now. It's where the, the place is filling up. It's about an hour to kick off. The, they're out in the field warming up. Now the, the Super Bowl is here. So right. that that point too, I was like, when I went and took the pictures in my seat right before I came back to see you, so like 15 minutes before, I even like goosebumps right away. Like I, I 2019, I went to the Super Bowl. Immediately when I went in my seat, I started crying. <laughs> it was like, I can't believe I'm here at the Super Bowl. <laughs> this time I wasn't overcome with emotion going to the seats, but National Anthem, which I think you can attest to, uh, very emotional. Uh, it, yeah. So it was about an hour before kickoff where I was really like, okay, this, 
this is this really could be the night. I haven't gone back and watched the national anthem yet, but yeah, from neither. what I from what I remember, it started off and it was lovely, but, but then right around and the Rockets Red Blair, Red Glare, but I'm Canadian. Don't get mad. Red Glare, Red Glare, Red Glare. Okay, yeah, right I around. Hope I'm, the, right. And the, I'm pretty sure. Well, and the Rockets <laughs> something right around there. The Rockets I do feel glaring, like, glaring. I feel like there was a a musical accompaniment and an energy in the crowd that started to spike. And I immediately started to, to tear up and get really emotional. I felt not nervous, but I felt overwhelmed. It was a moment. I feel like it was, I feel like that national anthem was a moment. I really, I, I just remember swaying back and forth. I had my head down and I was just like, I was in the same boat as you, man. Like it, it was, because you also understand that the game is is immediately going to start at this national anthem, pretty much. So like you're Correct. there, the kickoff is 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 right there. So it's just all these emotions getting drawn up, and like you see players on the sidelines crying all the time during national anthems. It's the same thing. It's like your emotions are literally at an all time high at that exact moment, mm-hmm. and you get like that minute and a half or whatever the over under was. I don't know if she went over under on the gambling <laughs> side. Um, I didn't <laughs> act like too much of a degenerate on that, but. Um, but for that 90 seconds, like you, you're really kind of at, you're like one with your thoughts and your emotions and like what it means to you and, and everything. And that's, that was what I, what was on my mind, like how much it really, really means to me. Yeah. So we were both sitting in the lower bowl. We were both kind of off to the corner, getting, getting into the game, going into the game. I thought that the biggest X factor based off of how he played against the 49ers, what we saw against the Buccaneers and, and even what we saw against the Cardinals Obviously, Cooper Cup is the number one option, but I thought that because Cup was the number one option and you have to treat him as such, that I was saying, and you, obviously you and I spoke before the game, so I'm not just bullshitting here, but I thought that the biggest factor was going to be Odell Beckham Jr. He catches the first touchdown, he catches that second pass, and just in general looked utterly unstoppable. At any point in the game prior to him getting hurt, did it start to feel like holy shit that this might be like 35 10 rams when it was 13 3 and they scored uh going up there yeah. i was already i in my mind i, I wasn't like well, we won the super bowl what and I, I was like this could be a blowout if they get a stop here a three and out they're gonna go down and probably score again and now we're looking at 20 to 3 21 to 3 mm-hmm. the game might essentially be over now the rams have given up leads in the past but like this is a whole different ball game so yeah i mean i was already feeling really good which made what was about to happen feel that much worse mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was really, I was, we were both probably very confident and then for it to kind of unravel um, really hurts. Mm-hmm. OBJ goes down. Uh, That's a turning point. Big turning point, big, big turning point. And just a couple, a couple of fits and starts. I, I wouldn't say that I was, I wouldn't say that I was worried, but it felt as though, Look, I don't I don't mean to be flippant with someone's health, but it, in a way it felt like it, it was a it was a missed opportunity just because it, it was very, very clear that the Bengals at, at no point in time were gonna have an answer for him. It's like, okay, well you start doubling no. OBJ. It's like, well, yeah, fine, then um, Go ahead. Uh, great. Be our guest. Yeah, we got Cooper Cup and Van <laughs> Jefferson and all those things. Um, highlight from the halftime show for you personally. 
Um, Eminem. Eminem was always kind of one of my was one of my guys was was the guy for me growing up as as hip hop fan. And uh, I never had seen him live in any capacity. And just so cool. I mean, man, there's the production of it. And we went back and watched at your house after like, we didn't appreciate what we were watching fully until we saw it after because they had like the map of Los Angeles. It's like floor. And, um, and the buildings and how they utilize both sides. They didn't utilize just one hard camera side. They utilized the whole field. Um, very cool. But Eminem definitely stood out just because of he doesn't really do live performances anymore. No. Um, not that the other ones are on tour at either, but Eminem really is few and far between. He doesn't really even release much music anymore. So it was really, really cool to see that. And the crowd so, singing along with Lose Yourself. Uh, awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, cr- the crowd. Everyone uh, knows the words. Yeah, the crowd. The crowd was there for it. In fact, it it's it was the opposite. My wife tried to go get a drink with like three minutes left in the second quarter, and she said that's when the lines were the busiest because everyone yeah. was making sure that they had a drink for the halftime show, which is like the of opposite of what you normally get at a at a professional yes. sporting event. I mean, uh, look. WrestleMania is not really a wrestling event. It's WrestleMania. San Diego Comic-Con is not really a Comic-Con. It's it's a spectacle. And yeah. the Super Bowl, yeah. sure, football happens, but it's it's very much secondary, including it's it's a weird crowd, and we can get into it. But anyone sure. that was there that was a Bengals fan was hardcore. A lot of people that were Rams fans were there. A, a, very, a much smaller percentage were hardcore because you just you had a yeah. lot of people in LA that we're going to be going to that Super Bowl, irrespective of the teams that were playing. And yeah, maybe they put on a, a blue and yellow shirt, but they didn't know what the fuck was going on in, in the game. That's fine. Like that happens. <laughs> that happens at every Super Bowl. And I, yeah, fine. LA fair weather, whatever we live here. It's pretty fucking awesome. Anyone that wants to sell real estate in LA because everyone's moving, just let me know. I'll fucking take it off of your hands. Part of my language. <laughs> Did you see on the Higgins touchdown to open up the second half? Did you see the face mask? Didn't see it as it happened. No, I caught it afterwards on social media. Okay. I was completely unaware yeah. too. My my yeah. phone's blowing up with my buddies being yeah. like, that shouldn't have been a touchdown. And then Stafford, who do he throw to? Who's 18 on the team? Ben Skoranek. Skoranek. He He's like a... He's like a he's like a character in my household because he I don't want to rag on him too much but like he has made some severe mistakes at the his number doesn't get called often but when it sure. does he has dropped passes he has made special teams errors he uh, there's he's been a running trend of making bad plays and then of course he bobbles an interception. Well, I mean, listen, he's a cog in the machine, but there's he's a, a rookie reason. as well. Yeah. yeah well, and it, there's a there's a reason that there's a reason that he doesn't start. Um, yeah. but it's, it's also weird too, because he wears 18, which is the number that cup used to wear and it's, yeah. it's weird. It's similar uh, it's, build. Yeah. yeah it's, except not, not necessarily the same skill set. but no. he does that thing where the ball's behind him a little bit, but he basically serves up the ball on a platter. The Bengals intercept. It's, it's all, all of a sudden it's, it's a little, it's getting a little precarious. How, how were you, how were you feeling when they go up? When they go up twenty to thirteen, wait, did they go up twenty? They went up twenty to thirteen. How are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then the Rams get the field goal twenty sixteen. Yeah. So, um, so I, I remember texting Noel at halftime, and I say, Noel, my girlfriend, and um, we, and I go, she's like, how do you feel? And I go, well, the Rams, and I almost feel, I almost regret sending this text. I go, well, the Rams were forty five and one when leaving at halftime under Sean McVay, and the only game they lost was the Niners in Week eighteen. So I feel pretty good. 
they, to me, they outplayed the Bengals in the first half. And, uh, but there was some signs that the offense was kind of breaking. And so, I mean, all we're winning at halftime, of the Super Bowl. what more can you ask for? It doesn't matter if it's by three, 1.3 points, it, you're winning. So coming out, I was like, okay, great. So the Bengals get the ball to start 75 yard touchdown. Okay, cool. It happens. Let's just rebound right here. Go down, get some points, interception, field goal. Okay. So suddenly they just scored 10 points in a span of legitimately a minute and a half of game time. Yeah. And now the the mood of the, the Bengals fans allow the mood is the mood is completely switched. Um, yeah, I was for lack of a better term was stressed. I knew there was a lot of time left, but the the concerns were the offense just nobody could get open, and it was yeah. frustrating. And you could see it that they were everybody was getting frustrated, and they couldn't. And I can't, every time they ran the ball, and I get there trying to run the ball, and I was just like, we can't fucking run the ball. Yeah, we're just running Cam Akers straight into the line for one yard or a loss of one yard. It's not there. So how do we adjust? It felt as though there were a disproportion that there was a disproportionate number of moments in that game where yes. where the Rams were going from second and three to third and four or yes. like constantly or second and one to third and three. And it's like, guys, yeah. I get it. And I, yeah. I get that McVeigh didn't want to abandon the run. And I get that the Bengals have a good defensive front, but right. but I I for the life of me just just couldn't figure out, no. and it just sounded like, it just seemed like should we stretch it out wide? Um, I know Daryl Henderson made a couple of nice catches coming out of the backfield. Daryl Henderson and was good. Yeah. Daryl Henderson was good. It would have been nice if he had if he had he there was one down the left sidelines where it was a longer pass where you know it, it mm-hmm. just goes to show why he's a running back. He didn't really turn forward. It was a real difficult yeah. catch. I think I don't think people value how difficult it is to come out of the backfield and reorientate yourself and, and catch a ball, especially going down the sidelines like that. But yeah, that, that could have been a big play. Van Jefferson could have made a big play that yep. catch that Jamar chase made in the first half. I, I that was utterly spectacular. It was right on my sideline where I was sitting yeah, there and it was, that was, it was just yeah. spectacular. Can't do anything so, about that. All right. Okay. So the final drive, you know, it's getting pretty tense. The Rams, I think I don't know that they used a timeout in the second half, but it just becomes clear that that they know that if they don't do everything that they possibly can on this drive, not that they weren't before, but yeah. that there's a possibility that they never, ever, ever, ever get the ball back for the remainder of the yeah. Super Bowl because the Bengals could have gotten it back, and if, you know if they can run first the first down after first down, you never know. Yeah. You never know if you're going to get it back. So they basically go, they basically remind me of what happens to like a high school team. I remember we played high school football and in the playoffs, we all of a sudden went down on like this big, long return to a team that was inferior to us. And so everyone yeah. panics a little bit. And yeah. I remember our coaches just started running me between the right guard and the right tackle or between the right tackle and the tight end. And that's what we did every fucking play until we took the lead back. And so it seemed like they were just saying, okay, look, here we go. If we're going to die on our sword, it's going to be because Stafford is trying to force the ball to cup. This is what we're going to do. And there was no big play aside from the no look pass that we'll get to in a second. But it was just like bit by bit by bit by bit by bit by bit. 
knowing all the while that unlike in the Niners game, a field goal wasn't going to do it. A field goal was going to make it 2019. They they had to score. What was your confidence yeah. level like? Were you or were you just frayed at the edges? Because at a certain point with, I think, five and a half to six minutes left, I just randomly went, I love sports. I like sports. And everyone <laughs> in my section was laughing at me. But I mean, in a, in a good boisterous way, because I just, I needed, I needed an outlet. What just take yeah. me through your emotions in that oh, final boy. drive. Oh my gosh. So the drive starts about five. Yeah. It was like five and a half, six minutes left to go. And I, I just, again, my confidence was a little shot in a sense of we had nothing to build off of in that entire second half. So they have not been able to string together drives at all. They're not able to convert their down. So, and who's going to get open here if Cup's getting double covered? Well, lo and behold, it was Cup. But so I had then, I, I before the game, like two weeks ago, I was looking into buying a GoPro to strap to my head so I could record me reacting in these moments because I knew if these moments were to come that my reactions would be so raw and real and authentic that they would be hilarious. So I just literally instead, I just took my phone, I put, I just held it in my hand, didn't hold it in my face, held it in my hand so it's not in my way, and I just hit record. And I just let whatever happened happen from there. The videos that I have, and I, I haven't even went back and watched all of them yet because some of them are horrifying. Um, because <laughs> it, the stress in my face, Steven, I was literally like tears were just strumming down, streaming down my face yeah. and I wasn't crying. I wasn't sad. I was legitimately so stressed out and overwhelmed that my body was just producing tears and I just kept wiping them away, wiping them away, wiping them away. And I'm like, and I was looking, I was like looking around and I'm like, what's wrong with me? Am I having a panic attack? What is wrong with me? Like, I, I don't know what was even happening to me. And like, there was two Rams fans. They were sweethearts, a couple behind me that were like, they saw how distraught I was. And they were like massaging my shoulders. And like, I was like, you know, you fold up your seat and sit on like a seat when it's folded up. So you're kind of sure. like standing, but you're hunched over. Sure, and I'm sure. hunched I, know, I, know over. That, I know that move. I know that move. That's the move. Cause you don't want to be slumped in your seat when everyone's standing up, but you're sitting and I'm, yeah. I'm bowled over and I'm just like, I'm rubbing my eyes and I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I, 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 I can't even describe what I was feeling because I was just so like, and then the thoughts I, are going through my mind. Like, are they ever going to come back if they lose? What if they never get back to the Super Bowl? What yeah. if this is it? I, and then also I am like, I have thousands upon thousands of dollars in futures bets on this <laughs> that I assumed I was going to win. That's going to be gone. Um, then I'm thinking, boy, I spent a lot of money on this ticket. I really wanted those futures bets to come through. So all these thoughts are coming. And it, again, we're trading the money all day for that experience. So that that's not the point. But like, there's just a million thoughts that are rolling through my brain yeah. at a speed in which my brain cannot process it at once. And then, oh, by the way, there's a fucking Super Bowl going on in the field that I have to now sit and watch. And I have zero control over it. That's what mm -hmm. I think drives me nuts is I'm help as fans. You're helpless. You're absolutely helpless. You can scream wow. and whatever, but ultimately you're helpless. And it's a really strange feeling to be so invested in something that you have zero control over mm -hmm. and it dictates your moods, your emotions, how you feel. And for that five minutes of game time, it felt like, mm -hmm. Oh my God, it felt like an eternity. Because the then there's also, and, there's also moments of, there's also moments of, of shame because you're sitting there yeah. going, boy, I'm a 
40-year-old man and I'm a husband and a father and I have responsibilities and people that count on me and I am allowing myself to be caught up in this moment and feel all of these things because of these boys in these tight pants that are going out and throwing a ball around. And why yeah. is this so important? Please, please don't let this be so important to me. But at the same time, you just want to let yourself feel the feelings yeah. and enjoy yeah. it because, yeah. you know, it, it's going to hurt if your team loses, but why get into sports? Like why play the video game if you don't want to get to the last level when the stakes are the highest and with one life left, you know, finally win it. Now we might've just left Frank the clown in the dust there because he was attached to this and now he's not. So if in fact he comes back, that'll be great. And I'll allow him back in. But if for whatever reason he doesn't, that's actually kind of a funny and fun way for this to end with him just spouting all of these different emotions that he felt prior to the wham, ram, whams, the Rams actually winning the world title. It was a fantastic day. The cup did score. Donald did shut the Bengals down, even though they got real close to getting into field goal range. And we got to celebrate at SoFi Stadium with the Rams being the champions of the world. If you're not a big sports fan, uh, <laughs> there's another episode of this podcast coming later this week. And God forbid you live in the Ohio area and you're a fan of the Bengals. I can't imagine that you're still listening to this. But let me thank... Frank the Clown, my buddy. We didn't even get into the fact that he is uh, he is all over the independent professional wrestling scene and we see each other at WWE events and AEW events and had that fun thing when CM Punk came back to pro wrestling and was down by the ring in Chicago and the first fan that he hugged was Frank the Clown. And then, of course, I was there when he came out when AEW was doing a big show in Flushing Meadows, New York, and he hugged me. And then Frank and I hugged each other at Lambeau Field later that year. He's a great guy. He and his girlfriend, Nicole, are uh, really, really good people. I'm going to bring him back in so that we can wrap this up. I'm sorry. Jesus. It's, no, it's all good, man. Hey, I, okay. I, 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 did the, I did the filibuster. It was oh. all good. So okay, you, well, you're should, professional now. There you go. We should, we, should, we, should, we should wrap this up. Okay, but so... <laughs> The Rams do score, and then the defense comes back on the field. What's your, what's your confidence level, or or can you just is your mouth watering? You know, you can. Yeah. So I almost felt like I, I almost felt like I was more stressed on the offensive drive than it was on the defensive drive, just because mm -hmm. I didn't expect the Bengals to go down and score a touchdown. So I knew mm -hmm. probably to me, worst case was we're going to overtime. Um and. God, my God, my the, the stress levels in overtime would have been insane. But I so I felt good about that at least that we had that to fall back on. So, you know, the first play, I think it's like a 20 yard play to to chase, which yeah. Ramsey jumped it. And I if he turns his head, he picks it off and has a pick six to win the game. And if you go back and watch that play, he had a beat on the play, but he just took a weird angle. Chase gets around him out of bounds. Suddenly they're at the 45 yard line. You're like, Oh my God. And real, McPherson's yeah, real, an incredible real, kicker. Real quick, 
yeah. incredible they character. He's got quick, yeah. big leg. So like he he could trot him. You could trot him out from sixty, and you'd be and you you feel decent about it going through. So you don't want to give up another first down. So again, phone's recording. I have these videos, and I you know it's I feel good because I I really did feel like somebody's gonna step up and make a play, and and sure enough, lo and behold, they make a play. Now, I didn't, the fourth and one call was really interesting because to me, if I'm a coach there, honestly, I think I'm running the ball at the middle. I don't remember what they did on third down. They got stopped, I believe, right? They ran and they got yes. like a no game. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, nut up time. And what do you, what's your best play in your playbook? So when they, when they rolled out the throw or he didn't even roll out, Aaron Donald flushed him out of the pocket. Um, I was shocked. I was shocked. It was a, a running, a, a passing play, but then Donald burst through immediately. I mean, just the lineman didn't even barely even got hands on him. It was an incredible pass rush and comes through very eerily similar to the Garoppolo NFC championship clinching play where he kind of twirls him down. He gets rid of it. That pass was a lot closer to being completed than people are kind of talking about right now. And if he was. catches that ball, I think he would have gotten like 10 or 15 yards because the defender was coming was crashing in on Burrow, and I think it was like Mixon or their backup P. Ryan who was there, and he was open. If there's just a little bit more on that ball, or Donald maybe doesn't get the full grip on him to throw him down, we might be having a completely different podcast right now. So it, it and just the joy and the relief that went through my body um, immediately. I just collapsed in my seats, and I'm just I'm sobbing like a as as a 31 year old man does over a football team. Um, I'm hugging the men in front of me who had no interest in the game. He was more interested in FaceTiming women, woman after woman throughout the whole game. Um, the people sitting behind me who are beautiful, beautiful people, Rams fans hugging me and, and, and everyone around me, everyone's just so happy. And it's just like, I FaceTime my girlfriend, she's watching with her family. They're all so happy getting to share the moments. Um, and my phone is absolutely on fire. I mean, all my friends I haven't talked to in 10 years texting me that knew I was a Rams fan in high school and elementary school. Yeah. That happened uh, with me too. Yeah. Like people come out of the woodwork, which is great. Like I, I love the congratulations. Cause I used to talk all kinds of shit every year. I would talk shit. Oh, this is the Rams year. This is the Rams year. We got Kyle Bowlers, our quarterback this year. This is the Rams year. <laughs> Sean Hill. He's a savvy veteran. This is the Rams year. Um, so it, it, I was so excited and, and so all those people that I have taunted and, and whatever, and, and I ate so much shit uh, for years and years over this team now coming back and being like, you got yours, man. Congratulations. So that, that, that was awesome. But what a, what a therapeutic moment uh, that had for me personally, essentially 20 years of build uh, to then release <laughs> in that, yeah. in that exact moment in LA at home um, as an adult. Whew. Man, I mean, that's something that if you're not a fan of football or you're not invested in something like that, it's really hard for people to really appreciate that, how much you really feel in those times. It's what's it's what makes sports great. You're, what's the goal with sports? You think about this all the time. It, the, the goal is to win the goal is to win the title. It, it, it is period. Full stop. And it, and it changes things for it changes things forever. You think about I think about Toronto for me in particular. And the reason that I'm a Jays fan to this day is because they won the title in 92 and 93. And to go back to Toronto now, you see a ton of people in Raptors gear. And the Raptors were always an interesting thought in the city, but 
then you win the title. Yep. And it 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 changes things. You you get world champion gear and yeah. I can't wait next year. I you know, the Rams uh, away opponents cuz I love going and seeing them on the road. Oh, the anywhere that anywhere that you walk in next year, you walk in as world champs and yeah. you know, I, I, look, that's not going to make 49ers fans any nicer. <laughs> um, but, that's just too bad. But, but it is a really funny thing to say to Cardinals fans, and you know they're playing in they're playing in Lambeau again next year. And so now we could go gotta... straight back in there, like we we were there this year, and it was a great experience. The fans are awesome, but now we can go fans in there for awesome. champions. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we'll be celebrating, and they'll they'll do the whole like, yeah, I remember my first beer, my right. first championship. <laughs> Meanwhile, whatever. Jordan Love is throwing three interceptions against us because Aaron Rodgers oh, uh, forced yeah. his way out of town. There it is. Hey, so favorite moment from post game? You were posting on social media at like five a.m. Yeah, from Rams celebrations. I I, I had been long since asleep. Yeah, uh, you were. You were. I went to bed at nine nine. Yeah, yeah, nine fifteen. I drove down yeah. to the stadium too. Yeah. Uh, favorite favorite post game moment? Yeah, it, it, easy. So I had a buddy who called. You know, I was when I was at your house, and he was like. Yeah, you, you want to come to the Rams party? I'm like, uh, yeah, I want to come to the, the Rams Super Bowl party. Of course I do. So I left your house, took an Uber over to the team hotel in Manhattan Beach. I had a wristband, which I'm still proudly wearing. Uh, for those oh that – this is an audio podcast. I'm showing it to you. But uh, And I went to – hopped on the bus at the buses they had there, rolled over to what was a jet hangar in Manhattan Beach area that they had fully decorated to be a party. And it was, I, I didn't know what to expect. It was incredible. Um, there was a shit ton of people there. It was all like, you know, friends and family and, you know, staffers and media, whatever else. But, um, and, you know, the players, not, not everybody was there, but a good majority. And my favorite moment of that night, because I'm not a drinker. I don't, I don't drink at all. So like, as I'm going through this night, I'm just really taking it all in and I'm partying. Like, I feel like I'm, you know, like I'm inebriated, but I'm not. And the, um, and the moment that stood out was they brought Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Rams out on stage with the trophy, mm -hmm. um, Kevin Demoff, the COO, um, and Sean McVay and McVay comes out. I posted this on my story. They hand him the trophy and he has a drink in his hand. He's in a nice three piece suit. He has the trophy and he holds it up. He's like, let's fucking go. And the crowd erupts. They're yelling whose house Rams house. And I'm like, Oh my God. I can't believe I'm watching this right now. This is incredible. So, uh, yeah, I didn't, throughout the night, I mean, I was there until, gosh, four or five in the morning. Uh, got to talk to Bobby Trees, uh, Eric Weddle. I got to gush to Eric Weddle about how much his story and his comeback meant and to, the, to me and the, the entire franchise and fans. And uh, Johnny Hecker, who, you know, is an OG Ram. I knew him a little bit before. And, uh, you know, in Dayton, the Saint, he's one of the OG St. Louis Rams. There's like three of them left on this franchise. So that's a guy that yep. really has been through it all. And to see him win it was awesome. And, you know, a lot of my buddies were there and it, you know, it was that are very casual Rams fans, but, um, but just an, an incredible, incredible day, afternoon, evening, late evening, early morning. Well, we are officially at the one hour and 45 minute mark or thereabouts. God bless everyone who's still here, by the way. Gushing about the Rams. <laughs> um, Frank, we'll have you back 
at a certain point to because obviously <laughs> I want to talk with you about independent pro wrestling and yeah. all of our all of our WWE time. So we'll, we'll pick a time. But yeah. um, until then, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, which, by the way, have no idea that I'm even recording this. I set the whole thing up by myself. So I'm going to be texting them going, yo, check the check the file. We're ready to post a podcast. What the there's, fuck are you talking about? There's two hours worth. Yeah, it's two hours worth. Do you need us to edit anything? No, just just post the whole thing. I'll give you the copy. It's just two Rams fans talking about a glorious season. But that being said, for Taryn Lee, for Zacho Albright, for Knocking Point Wine Studio 71, and my co-host in absentia, Andrew Harding, this is Stephen Amell and my buddy and fellow Rams fan, Frank the Clown, congratulating the 2022 Rams on an absolutely breathtaking season and – one that I will never, ever forget. Frank, a parting word? I'm glad that we got to experience the day and everything together, kind of this run together. Uh, you know, I know you're, it, it meant a lot to both of us, and you've really adopted the Rams as your team now that they are mm-hmm. entrenched in L.A. culture. Um, let's run it back next year. Let's run it back next year. Cheers to the Rams. That was great, man. I feel like, honestly, that is a pretty high-level football talk. That was pretty good.